Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Erica Newmare Erot of Rare Durndrill. So welcome to the show, Erica. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I am a small business owner, online shop owner. I make and sell dirndls, which is what you would wear if you identify as female and are going to someplace like Oktoberfest. It's the traditional dress of Southern Germany, Bavaria area. And I am based in Chicago and my focus is primarily Americans. Um, I do sell a little bit in Canada, but it's the American Dirndl market. Wow. It's like so specific and I love it because it, it's always fascinating to me how brands, um, like how cool brands can be when they're really focused on a niche and a customer and they know like so much about them, which I can tell you do. Um, Yeah, it's very specific. And I mean, even, even that is more narrowed because I take a more modern approach to the design. So the designs are very fashion forward, unusual, using unusual fabrics. um, And then they're also expensive. So it's, it gets really, really tight niche. (laughs) Mm Yeah, so fascinating. And I want to ask a whole bunch of things about the design side and kind of the business side of such a small niche too. But let's kind of start, like, how did you get into this? Like, what what brought you into fashion business and specifically Durndles? Great question. It all started when um, I was four years old. (laughs) I started dancing uh, with a German cultural group in Chicago. Uh, My mom started taking me when I was four and I grew up there. That was basically our only extracurricular activity. We danced with the kids group. And then in high school, I danced with the Jugendgruppe, which is like the youth group and in through college. And we would wear dirndls when we performed. And then, so fast forward to college, I'm going to school for fashion design. And one of my friends is studying abroad in Germany. And we both loved dirndls and were just really bored with what we could wear because you you perform in your dirndl. And then after you're done performing, usually you're sweaty and you kind of want to change, but you, we didn't really want to change into regular street clothes we wanted like another dirndl to wear and there were at the time two other manufacturers in the u.s they were providing like the same styles over and over again it was nothing new basically everybody had one from Ernst and one from Bergland Trachten and that was the end if you wanted something different you had to go to Germany and at the time so this is like 2007 2008 she's sending me all of these really cool designers doing really unusual things. And it just, something clicked. And I looked around and I'm about to graduate. And I'm like, I think this is, I think this is a thing. I think I can do this. So I started doing a little bit of market research, comparison, 
you know, comparing what is available price points here and there with the Euro conversion and started making some samples, throwing the idea out to a couple friends and it just snowballed from there. So you kind of like grew up in this culture and, mm -hmm. um, and you are German yourself, correct? Yeah, my ancestry is German. My grandparents immigrated here um, from former Yugoslavia, but they were in like German towns there. So they spoke mm -hmm. German um, and then they, the food that they made was like a combination of German and Serbian influence. Um, but if you go back a few more generations, then we were, you know, my family is from the southern, southern Germany. Nice. Yeah, so that's so fun that you kind of grew up in that like rich culture and got to enjoy that and then kind of turn that into a business post-graduation um mm -hmm. so what was you said there was like a lot of interesting designs and more companies to buy for in germany was there just not an option then to buy those designers in the u.s or um yeah, kind of what did it look like to kind of do that market research for a U.S. customer for a, a you know, German and Bavarian uh, clothing look? Mm -hmm. At the time, so this was 2009, I, I officially launched in January of 2010. That's when I got my bank account. <laughs> 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 and then um, launched the website later, but that was that was the start as the bank account. Mm -hmm. So doing all of this research would have been before. So this is around 2009, and shipping to the U.S. for a lot of companies wasn't a thing. You could not get these designs sent over. German companies were not interested in spending the extra money to ship them here, mm -hmm. and Americans weren't necessarily willing to pay all of that extra money mm -hmm. so if you were in germany you could like so when we went on our germany trip as a as the youth group basically every girl was like i need to find a dandel i need to find a dandel mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know now it's very different you can get a dandel from a german company you can get a dandel from amazon there, it's it's very different today than it was when I first started, but that was really the catalyst is that you could not get anything modern, any fresh designs in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there was that kind of like gap in the market that you saw mm -hmm. with like you and your friends and what you experienced. So cool. Um, so I know your designs, like you mentioned that they're very modern and they're, they are like really cool and unique and in some ways non-traditional. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you blend kind of breaking those rules and also honoring the tradition of these outfits with your designs? That's a great question. I, that is like my special sauce. I love doing that. I love blending things together. Mm -hmm. So taking this very traditional look, but using these unusual fabrics and designs. So for example, the one Dirndl that really set me apart in the very beginning was an all leopard print Dirndl. This was not something like traditional German 
fabrics are going to be small floral prints, cotton, wool in colors like black, forest green, navy, burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's like this interesting mix of prints where they use a small print cotton with like little flowers on it and then mixed with this kind of stripe in a similar color. There's a lot of print on print, but it's very subtle, small prints. And Mm -hmm. I just went out with like a bold, bright colors using fabrics like satin. My favorite fabric to use is a peach skin, which has like this Mm -hmm. sheen but it's not it's not matte but it's not shiny Mm -hmm. it's soft and I do use a lot of polyester because it does not wrinkle it's really wearable Americans Mm -hmm. don't like to iron (laughs) so I kind of take these aspects of the American lifestyle and, and fuse it in there I also like to use unusual things like um spiked trim, extra chain here and there. And I'm not going too far. Like some of the neckline trims that I use are not all that different from what you can find on like a German dirndl style, but I'm using a different color. I'm using a different fabric. I'm putting two fabrics together to make the trim. So there's, it's, it's really little tweaks. Mm-hmm. to the design and it also is the fact that in America I can only get certain fabrics mm-hmm. and I'm not so just by using unique prints and brighter color I mean not even necessarily brighter colors because some of the some of my best sellers have been really um, dark another bestseller was I used a print that had uh, it was an Edgar Allan Poe inspired bodice which had um ravens bats skulls Mm. bones all of this kind of like really creepy amazing stuff on the bodice and then the skirt was this like iridescent taffeta and then the apron which is it ties around the waist and drapes over the front half of the skirt was a sheer a semi-sheer black Georgette with a spiked trim. And that one was so popular. And I was so nervous about it. I'm like, (laughs) oh God, what are these people are going to think I am insane. (laughs) But it's just different. And that's, I Mm -hmm. think, what everyone was enjoying about the designs is they were just plain different. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the the rare part of the rare journal. Mm Mm-hmm. When you were first designing these and kind of going really outside the box or, you know, tweaking these, using different prints and colors and to you maybe a little wild, was it really because that's what you were looking for or did you in your market research like hear from other people? Because my guess is that like being connected to the German community in Chicago, like you already knew your target market well and had kind of like that pool of you know potential customers and other people who wear dirndls to to ask were they also looking for something a little bit more bold or was were was that more something you were looking for and then realized there were other people too who liked that 
in the beginning i i was very lucky to actually be kind of the target customer mm-hmm. and i had envisioned doing two collections a year fall winter and a spring summer you know doing the mm-hmm. the typical fashion calendar now i just do whatever I want. But in the beginning, I thought this is what I should do. So I had put together a 12 piece collection with a variety. There were some black and there was one black and coral piece. There was another, there was the leopard print, another turquoise brighter print um, and another. So it was a variety of things. I didn't want to just go all out brights. It was pretty simple. And I did a trunk show. And by that, I mean, I put up a rack and a folding table at (laughs) an event where I knew there would be other, um, for my German club was hosting like an annual meeting where other clubs from all over the US would come and just sit and listen to the meeting. Mm -hmm. But on breaks, I was sitting there with my rack and there were people who would look through it and then I took orders and then I went home and I sat down at the sewing machine and I started sewing and it was very stressful to go to this event, be so excited about selling it and then be tasked with making all of them as soon as you get home. (laughs) Okay. Like you're you're excited about being successful, but then you're also like, Oh shoot. Now I have Uh to actually deliver. Yeah. So that first trunk show, I was, ears open, listening to what people were saying and seeing what their reactions were. So initially I just designed, I guess for myself, mm-hmm. I just wanted to do something unusual and put it out there, see what happened. Then after I heard some feedback, I did another little collection. I think it was three pieces and they were all really bright. I'm talking lime green, <laughs> bright blue and all yellow. And that all yellow dirndl even made it onto a Nickelodeon movie. Oh wow! Yeah, it was that was it was crazy. And so these, just listening to the feedback, they were saying, "Oh, this would be great. I'd love it. I love some bright colors." Like just they just kept going to this one brighter one. So I thought for summer we'll do, we'll just pick three and we'll do something super bright. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, each collection I more or less design for what I'm feeling and what I like to see and then hope that people resonate with it. I also keep a variety, you know, Mm -hmm. recently I put out um, another collection. I didn't release it as a collection of dropping it slowly, but there's things that are darker, things that are lighter, things that are more earthy in tone so making sure that I'm kind of covering all my bases with mm-hmm. with the designs. Nice. So what types of occasions can you wear journals to? Like, obviously, in, in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, I see people at Oktoberfest wearing journals. And you mentioned like you, you wore them to perform um, for dance. Um, but are there other other places and ways to wear a journal? Yes. My favorite scenario is when someone comes into shop because they're going to Oktoberfest and they were told they need a dirndl. So we got them all dressed up, fabulous. They buy their first dirndl. 
go to Oktoberfest and then three years down the line, they come back and say, I've worn this too much. I need another <laughs> one. So there are lots of German events in the U.S. Um, that are not just Oktoberfest, but like every brewery now has their own little Oktoberfest. And it's just fun to dress the part, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's German restaurants you can wear it to. A lot of my customers prefer to wear their more elegant dirndls to weddings instead of uh, cocktail dresses. Um, A lot of the German organizations will host picnics or dinners. There's a a longstanding tradition of hunting in the Bavarian, in Southern Germany. So they usually have uh, a big feast in the fall where they um, present all of the meat that they've made, I guess, or (laughs) (laughs) the exact, there you go, prepared. And there's, there's, if you're part of a German club, there's plenty of opportunities, but even like these customers that are not part of the German community who are finding that they need another dirndl because they keep wearing the same one over and over. In Chicago, we have what's called the MyFest, which is a street festival with German music and German food in June. And then the Oktoberfest in um, September. Mm-hmm. But there's also, you can host your own Oktoberfest party. The, you know, people are doing their own themes for birthday parties. It just seems to be like endless opportunities, but it's usually specifically around that German theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about like uh, some of those, you know, places or occasions that you mentioned of to wear a dirndl to. That's really fun that like customers are realizing, hey, I can get a lot of like a lot of wear out of this and now I want mm-hmm. to kind of change it up and, and do something different. Exactly. And my, really my repeat customers, these really dirndl loving folks, um, I designed um, a more, a simple dirndl, pretty plain designed to be worn on a regular basis. It's machine washable. And that has been so popular. These women are wearing it as a as a dress for the regular every day. It's called the everyday dirndl, and people are wearing it to go out to dinner to to do whatever. And it is just so heartwarming to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's so fun when you see somebody like wear something you designed and and love it and get use out of it. Mm-hmm. That's the best. How does clothing and dirndls help you celebrate your heritage? Like just, I'm always fascinated by how clothing and culture um, and and celebration all mix together and like clothes are a big part of that. So what does that mean for you and how do you, how do clothes um, help you celebrate your, your culture? This is probably... Um, is just another favorite part of the business for me because I see things like food, drink, music, dance, and clothing as all being integral parts of so many different cultures. Mm-hmm. And before, yeah, when I was in college, I did a study abroad in Ghana, West Africa. And the focus 
everyone that went on the trip kind of had their own focus as what they were working on because mm-hmm. it was a smaller group of us. And mine was the textile and the clothing industry and how it connected to the culture. And that trip sparked something in me to look into my culture as well and the clothing and see really where it all comes from. So it, it just, I'm, I just feel better and more connected when I'm wearing the clothes. Mm-hmm. And you just get this feeling that what you're wearing is more meaningful than your everyday clothes. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have. It like puts you in that space or. Yeah. That, and it context. connects, yeah, connects you with even, you know, my grandparents who loved watching me dance, they were always telling me stories. We putting certain dirndls bring back their memory and I can like taste the food that they cooked. It's, it's mm-hmm. these sensory memories can come back and it's all connected. And like I said, I think those, those five core things are some just hit harder for other people. For some people, it's the music that really brings them closer. For some people, it's the food. And for me, it's the clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. And it's always so fun. Um, especially, I think, like, special occasion, like what we wear for special occasions are even more memorable. Like you can always wear or remember what you were wearing on an important day, whether it was a fancy mm-hmm. thing or whether it was just like an ev- every day, but like something special happened that day. It's like you always remember what you're wearing. And I think that's, again, kind of like the whole sensory like yeah. picture of the meaning. Um, yeah. And there's, there's one Dirndl in particular that when I went, I went to Germany when I was 16 with my grandparents and they bought me this Dirndl. And when my grandmother passed away, I couldn't think about wearing anything other than that. I was like, I have to wear this. And then the mm-hmm. following year, her husband, my grandfather passed away. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm wearing it again. But this time I wore an apron that I made Mm -hmm. and it just felt so significant it felt like something I was doing to honor them and what they've taught me just by wearing this piece Mm -hmm. and I don't know that there's there's not a lot of other clothes in my closet that can do that kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah I wonder if part of that is um is the making or is the story behind it? Because I don't think we often think about the story or the meaning or the hands that make our kind of everyday mm-hmm. clothes, you know. Um, yeah. So we, um, you mentioned, you know, at the very beginning you were sewing everything yourself. Are you still doing a lot of the sewing yourself or do you, mm-hmm. how do you get your pieces made now? Yeah, no, I, I do not sew really anything the last (laughs) in 2020 I found myself at the sewing machine more than I had ever had in in quite a few years making masks but 
that luckily is changed and I am back to doing very little sewing. So in the beginning, I was doing everything. I would cut the fabrics. I was ordering the fabrics. I was housing the fabrics in my parents' dining room and living room, <laughs> uh, cutting and sewing everything. And now I work with um, a variety of women. I have a small manufacturer. They have, oh, let's say 12 to 15 um, women working there and they will sew things that I need in a larger quantity. So if I'm designing a style and I'm producing it 20 pieces mm -hmm. all, um, all the same, then they will, the designs are, I order a marker, it comes to the studio, we just you know, figure out how much fabric we need, that goes to the cutter who he cuts everything out, then it comes back to the studio, we organize it all, add everything that's needed. So tags, zippers, um, buttons if necessary, piping, all of that, bundle it all together and then bring it over to the manufacturer who then sews it and brings it back. Some pieces then require work done by hand. So a lot of the designs have these hooks on the front that you can use to make like a corset lace-up situation. Mm -hmm. And those have to be done by hand and they will not do that. So then we have another seamstress who comes and picks up maybe 10 at a time and sews those on. We so also have, <laughs> we have a whole team. Yeah. And then for things like special orders or dirndls that this woman is a unique size and wants this particular design cut to her measurements, we'll do that in house. And then we have a seamstress who will pick up every two weeks. We collect, you know, all the different bundles of different things, mm -hmm. a variety of aprons, and then she takes them home and brings them back. Nice. So how did how did you decide, um, or what led to the decision then to stop doing everything yourself and have yeah you know work with these seamstresses and the factory? to get your pieces done because I think that's one thing that is always a struggle for brands when they get to that point is letting go of <laughs> certain things and like when is the right time to bring somebody else on and how to kind of make that transition from doing everything to then being you know stepping into more of like a designer or a CEO role in their business. Oh boy do I resonate with this. <laughs> so the first thing was when I was really starting to resent incoming orders. You know, mm -hmm. this was a, that was like, this is what I wanted. This is not a great feeling. Mm -hmm. I would get an online order and then I would be frustrated because now I had to sew it. Mm -hmm. And realizing that I thought, there's got to be there's got to be a better way. And so I looked, um, there was a fabric and trim show at uh, downtown Chicago. And I went and I started talking with a few people who were there promoting patterning and um, coordinating manufacturing. And I had talked with them and they said, oh, we're doing a manufacturing tour. I'm like a manufacturing tour. So they would take 
five or six designers on a day and they just visit different manufacturers in Chicago and some specialized in different things. Mm-hmm. And that's eventually I connected with the manufacturer that I'm using now. And I just kind of learned on the fly how to put all this stuff together. It's, it took a while because this wasn't something I learned in design school. Mm -hmm. This also wasn't something that the, these manufacturers assume that, you know, but you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I felt very lucky to we the the woman that I'm working with at the manufacturer we just clicked and right now she has dropped every other client except one of she only sells for one other company and me because she has said they just like working with me so I was like oh thank god (laughs) um and so that's how that's when I decided that I I couldn't keep sewing it myself and I also Mm -hmm. at the time didn't think that a one-off seamstress like what I'm doing right now who picks up and sews. I didn't think that was an option. I didn't know that that was an option. Mm -hmm. And I had also thought if I go to shows like um, a German fest in Milwaukee or go to different Oktoberfests and set up a vendor booth, if I have inventory, people can buy my inventory. And then I don't have to feel stressed about sewing for these incoming orders. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, that's when I started to carry inventory and work with the manufacturer because most manufacturers will have minimums. Mm-hmm. You know, like we need to at least have a dollar amount minimum or a piece amount minimum. So one company that one place I work with, they have a 30 piece minimum. Another place has a hundred piece minimum. And this, they didn't really have a minimum because they, they knew there's like, they worked with me. So you'll Mm -hmm. find places like that as well. The other part that was harder to let go of was the handwork. So putting on these hooks, putting on the trims, putting these last little touches on the dirndls. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, I thought that I was the only one that could do this. (laughs) and that that was the part like no one else can do it like me well that's not true (laughs) (laughs) and it took it took years and eventually I was working with a, a business coach at the time on some marketing and I was saying that I didn't have time to do this certain thing because I have all this handwork to do and she goes well you don't need to be doing that like but I do and she pushed and pushed and said just put out something on Craigslist for a handwork seamstress and sure enough I found somebody uh, right in our neighborhood that would pick up drop off and it worked out and that kind of was the catalyst for me realizing that while I do have a lot of talent, that doesn't mean that other people don't have that kind of talent and can potentially even do it better. So now if I can outsource it, I outsource it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think it's such a hard, like, no matter what business you're in, it's so hard yeah. to like, let go of that because you're so used to, like, you've built that up yeah. yourself. Um, so it's easy it... to outsource something like accounting when you mm-hmm. know that that's not your cup of tea and it's confusing. It's harder to outsource something that you, in your heart, love to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if it's too time consuming and it's taking away your time and energy from doing the thing that's going to make it profitable. Another real quick thing that I learned the hard way is that I did not put into my pricing, my price sheets in the beginning, the time that I was putting in because I was like, oh, I'm just yep. doing this while I'm watching TV. That's a, I see this so often. Ugh. I've like written a whole blog post on it. I'm like, you need to pay yourself as the business owner because otherwise you're pricing yourself out of being able to outsource eventually. Exactly. Because then when you do outsource it, if you don't up your prices, then you're not going to be profitable. So making sure that you're pricing properly from the beginning, mm-hmm. even if you're doing the work, making sure that you're paying for, if you had to outsource it, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. That was that was another, um, like I said, hard lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one that I see a lot happen a lot, unfortunately. Um, so since you've done all this outsourcing, what has that done for your business? Like, how has that changed your job role? And yeah, what does that look like for the business itself? It has allowed me to work part-time. And this is something I'd been working on for a while. In 2016, I got married and that we had talked about having kids and I knew that the mom I wanted to be was not working. Like I couldn't be the mom I wanted to be if I was working the same 40 to 60 hours a week Mm -hmm. on and in my business and outsourcing these things and using the resources available automating a lot of things has allowed me to run my business and work 25 to 30 hours a week. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge. And I, I'm, I'm still like, I'm still hustling. I'm still working a lot, but I'm not up until 2am, you know, working in spreadsheets or doing these things. I'm able to sleep and get a clear head. And I mean, I didn't really understand how useless my brain would be after just having a baby. (laughs) So I'm glad that I had all of these things in place because when you have no sleep, you just don't, you can't really function well. And getting through those periods, knowing that the core of my business was taken care of was very helpful. Yeah, I bet that's yeah. that's a huge thing. It's like you've built the business around the life that you want and not letting it kind of run your life for you. Exactly. And my focus now is really more marketing and customer service and then, you know, designing and thinking ahead and planning for the future. Those are the things that 
I'm working on now instead of sitting at the sewing machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. Um, so with kind of that designing and planning ahead, um, I think you mentioned earlier that you do kind of like little drops throughout the year instead of big collections. Is that still how you're like operating now? Yes, this is the first year in a while that I've had new designs consistently. So when I design them, I do have like a collection in mind because that's how I like to design. It's more fun to think about the big picture in the collection and the inspiration behind everything. It's more fun to do it that way. But Mm -hmm. I know that sales will be higher and sales will, more people will be interested in the pieces if I drip them out slowly Mm-hmm. And not just like drop a whole bunch all at once. Plus that allows me a little wiggle room with manufacturing. So I was able to release two designs early in the year at a pre-order. So I did a, like a discounted price for pre-order because you're going to have to wait six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And now that everything is finished, I can drop the last two pieces as ready to ship. But that allowed me time to, you know, not have to make everything all at once. Mm-hmm. And it also helps with cash flow when I don't have to drop all of this money in one chunk, even though it's still hard and still feels like that because <laughs> you're you're still what you've put all this money into it and now you're waiting for people to buy. But the pre-order situation definitely helps alleviate that. And I've tested over the years, I've tested all different things, dropping a whole collection at once, doing it little by little. And then over the course of like having something in the fall and having something in the spring. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter. Usually one to two at a time is just easier to digest for customers. They don't get so much decision fatigue, which can hold some customers back. There's other customers who who want to see it all because they get anxious that they're going to miss the next one's going to be better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, but for the most part, I find the slower drip to be more effective. Yeah. I bet you're able to kind of make a bigger, a bigger kind of like splash with each one instead of this whole collection where you can't really focus on like the individual story or design of each one. Mm -hmm. It's just, too much whereas I imagine with with one or two pieces at a time you're able to really kind of set the stage and 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 tell that story of each design separately and give it its own spotlight exactly nice um so what is inspiring your designs these days this last collection was inspired by My kids got so into Halloween last year and it was so fun. And Mm -hmm. I've just been kind of taken to this witchy, spiritual, you know, contemporary magic idea. And um, I've been finding a lot of joy in using tarot cards as a way to reflect and meditate. And so those were kind of the inspirations behind the the latest collection. 
And I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So that played well into it. The last mm-hmm. Dirndl I dropped was called the Herbology Dirndl. And it was, had this, that. yeah, it had this like little trim that looked like a caterpillar. And it was, so I just had all of these little things that reminded me of it. But when you look at it in a, in a group setting, you, you don't think, oh, that is definitely inspired by Harry Potter, you know, mm-hmm. that's also important to me is that if you don't connect with the inspiration, it's not a big deal. If you do, even better, more convinced to buy it. Mm-hmm. But there's one design called the Moon Rising Dirndl, and the bodice is black. It actually glows in the dark, which is amazing. Oh, wow. And it fun. has moons and stars on the bodice, and then the skirt is black. The apron is a metallic silver. And then on the website, you can type in your astrological sign. And then we add a trim to the bottom of the apron that's the, that says, you know, it, either Leo or Aries. And then the ties that would wrap around and tie into a bow, we add different colors based on that sign. So the customization aspect of that one is, is great. And it's been, it's been really great because I think there's, there's something out there for everyone and the customers have been really enjoying the new designs and even if they don't see the the witchy inspiration like I said that's fine well then but like just like those little bits of personalization or being able to connect with the inspiration like it it feels more personal I guess to the customer like it's theirs and it reflects them yeah. And that is also, I'm finding to be almost a very American thing to use your clothes as a representation of yourself and who you mm-hmm. are and your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of European cultures, I'm just going to use like one of my friends is Italian and she just buys what is on trend and what is fashionable. She is the most on trend fashion forward person I know. <laughs> But when it comes to American style, everybody just likes to dress for themselves. So these dirndls are a great way of combining all of that. You can really wear something that feels like you while also celebrating your heritage and participating in the events. And that is, that's basically our mission is to use these pieces to help you connect all those dots. Yeah, I love that. Um, I have a question for you, too. Uh, you were mentioning kind of inspiration, like Harry Potter, that your kids are into, uh, really into Halloween. So I think one one kind of fine line with clothes like these is, I think, the line between, uh, like, costume and uh, culture. Um, if, I'm not sure if that's the best way to put it, but you know, there's a line between like celebrating the culture and celebrating your individuality and the inspiration and it, it becoming purely a costume, which yes. can be like, take it too far and not, not honor the roots and the culture mm-hmm. that it's from. So yes. is that something you think about with your designs? And if so, like how, how do you approach that? And, um, cause I think you do a really good job of walking you know staying on the definitely honoring of the culture while still being fun and being able to wear it in in multiple ways 
Yes, this is huge. There is a line between having something unique, unusual, and fun, and then being cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And it is, for me, there is a hard line with the skirt length. And there is a hard line with the bust shape. Mm -hmm. I, you know, these, and the the easiest way to do, to figure out what is inappropriate and what's not is to find the inappropriate stuff. And it's easy enough to do. You <laughs> just have to search German beer wench costume and anything that pops yeah. up is not okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, the skirt length I make sure is the shortest I like to go is maybe an inch or two above the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, so still if you, definitely a dress length. Yes, it is a yeah. dress length. The um, when there are things called dirndl socks and talking socks, and those will go. They're like knee high socks, mm-hmm. not over the knee, thigh high things. If you're gonna wear thigh high tights, fine, but then your skirt better be long enough to cover it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's those little things that just make it unnecessarily sexy. Because that's not the goal. Like, yes, you feel beautiful. You want to feel sexy. The cleavage in a dirndl is something that is, you know, triggered and it's something that people recognize. But that is, if that makes you feel good, then fine. But you shouldn't have the the, the bust line be underneath literally like a bra picking up mm-hmm. your bust. Like, it's just, so all of our designs fit more like like they're a little bit more covered but we're not talking about like turtlenecks here like Mm -hmm. there's still plenty of sweetheart there's still plenty of cleavage to be found but it's those little things like skirt length apron length needs to be appropriate your apron um should be about a little bit shorter a little bit shorter than the skirt length but I don't like it when it's any higher than two inches. There's a couple, um, there are a couple towns that have like a round apron or specific aprons like that, but then you're, you, you're sticking to that specific region's cultural dress. Mm-hmm. But like these costumes have this like napkin hanging in front and that's mm-hmm. not, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think what you said about like, it's not what it's intended for is yeah. is a really good kind of test of is this costume or is this still culturally appropriate yeah like what is what is the intended use of this in its original culture and context sure and yeah i think that's a great way to to look at that and that's not to say i have some really creative customers who have worn their dirndls for halloween but because they were, you know, dressed up as Snow White or mm-hmm. um, there was, they use our little black dirndl and they make it really spooky and witchy. So, and I have worn my dirndl as a vampire, as um, a couple other things, like using it as the base for a unique costume is fun for someone that loves wearing dirndls, but we're not using it to be like, 
a German beer wench when we'd like just hike up the skirt even higher. Like it's mm-hmm. just not that's just not cute. Yeah. Nobody yeah. yeah. Yep, great, great points, and I think, like, you do a really good job with your designs of, like I said, like, they're fun and they're unique and, and yeah, have a lot of personality, but they're still very, like... Yeah, they still visually recognize as something that is a dirndl without being a costume, a, a costume. exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to ask a little bit more about, like, the business side of things, so... Um, now you said there's like festivals and everything happening kind of year round, but so is it very much kind of a year round business or do you have kind of like busy times in the fall around Oktoberfest or, um, yeah. How do you manage kind of seasonality, if any, in your business? It's definitely seasonal. It's far busier in July, August, September. October actually slows down quite a bit, but because the most of the Oktoberfests are in September and that's mm-hmm. just for it's weather reasons. It's very confusing. Yes, but it, it originally started in October, but then when they lengthened the festival from like three days to two weeks they started it in September because the weather's better Germany's weather is very like the Midwest so Mm -hmm. it gets pretty chilly towards October and people are buying starting to really think about that trip if they're going to Oktoberfest in July July is also a month where there's a lot of German club events June July are there happening so it's Mm -hmm. summertime the big vendor show that I do is in Milwaukee. That's the last weekend in July. So it's very heavy those three months, which is coincidentally the third quarter. So I would make in those three months, the same that I would make in the other three quarters combined. Oh, wow. Now, recently things have shifted Um, and holiday season, so October, November, December has also been very good. So now the ratio, the past two years have thrown all of these numbers out the window. I bet because there was far less festivals and things happening the past two years. My secondary customer, like the woman traveling to Oktoberfest just up and vanished overnight. It was wild. Mm -hmm. So things, it's hard to say because things have shifted and I don't know if they will go back to the way they were, because you never, you never just go back, you know, everything, everything changes and evolves and we can't ignore what has happened these past two years, but we can also assume that it's not going to be the same. So these numbers are very tricky, but there's definitely seasonality. I have worked very hard to make sure that I can sustain throughout the rest of this year because it's it's just again such a cash flow problem when you have to dump all of your money get rid of it all in like may you know march april may mm-hmm. and then patiently wait for it to all come back by september yeah it's, it's <laughs> tricky it's like it's so tricky and you'd think after 12 years i'd have it down but no uh, so I'll do 
something in January, February. This year I did an anniversary sale. The past couple of years I've done a one-of-a-kind sale where we make one-of-a-kind dirndls for people um, just coming up with unique ways. We have some print-on-demand t-shirts, filling in that slower section with stuff that's geared towards the customer that like just lives and breathes German heritage all year long because your heritage isn't seasonal, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have identified these two customers, customer A, who's in a German community, who dances, she sings, she eats German food, she knows how to, you know, you know, she talks with her grandparents a little bit in German. This is the girl who's buying all year long. The other girl, she might be traveling to Oktoberfest or she's going to an event. She has a family member in Austria getting married. She's traveling or doing something specific. Mm-hmm. That girl is the one that kind of fell off the face of the earth for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And so I just really catered to that customer A and that's who I'm focused on for the rest of the year. And then this little section of the busy time is for the other customer. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's so cool that you have like kind of those two customer profiles that you know, Mm -hmm. this is why they're buying and what they're buying for. It's like so helpful, I'm sure when you're designing and and just planning. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So I have two more questions for you. One, what is the, uh, what is your most favorite dirndl you've ever designed? Oh, there's a couple. But uh, I think the one I just wear, I've worn the most, has been that Raven Dirndl, the one that that Edgar Allan Poe, spooky mm-hmm. one. There's another design that I made in 2011 that was like inspired. I was just, I still at my parents' house and they were watching Stargate Atlantis and I got so sucked in. I was addicted. <laughs> and this collection- That's a good show. Made, it's so great right so then I I this collection was inspired by that um and this Darindel was so hard to produce that I really only made four and I mm-hmm. love that one and I can't really replicate it because it's just so expensive and so time consuming and the design is so cool so those two are probably my favorites nice um so then the last question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the dirndls you design what would it be hmm. um connection hmm. I think for everyone that's a little bit different but the dirndls will always connect you with something so it'll connect you with your family your heritage or that event you know if you have those memories that's that's the piece so that connection piece and whether it's connected to so like my dance group dirndl connects me to those to the other people that I danced with for 10 years Mm -hmm. there's I think there's always a connection there that's such cool such a cool answer the connection 
Well, this has been a, a really fun conversation, Erica. Thanks for joining me. Um, where can people find out more about you and Rare Dirndl online? Um, my website, rarederndl.com. That's R-A-R-E-D-I-R-N-D-L. It's a lot of consonants in a row. <laughs> but And I'm also at Rare Dirndl on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok and Pinterest. I have a YouTube channel as well. Haven't really made any YouTube videos recently, but <laughs> that's all of the places I hang out. Wonderful. I'll include links to all those in the show notes. And thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Hanis, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.